Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 Monday edition is here. Live in Nashville, 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Big show plan. Dan Shaughnessy from the Boston Globe. He will join us to... Take us down memory lane with the career of late Bill Russell, who passed away over the weekend at the age of 88. Shaughnessy with us in 20 minutes. Armando Salguero of Outkick.com will be with us later in the show as we will continue throughout the next three hours to break down the NFL's decision of uh, well, the independent uh, judge, in this case, Sue Robinson's decision to the NFL and the NFLPA that uh, Deshaun Watson will be suspended for six games. That's as it stands right now. We'll clarify that in just a moment. Brett McMurphy from Action Sports Network, College Football Insider. He will be with us in the final hour today. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. want to start by wishing my lovely wife, Angie, a happy anniversary. It is our 13th anniversary today so happy anniversary uh, to angie great wonderful wife. wonderful great mother obviously puts up with a lot from this guy right here so i appreciate everything that she does um deshaun watson we knew it uh, going into it whenever this broke it was going to be the story not only of the day but probably of the week with reaction to this we're one step down but paul we still are awaiting word from Roger Goodell on whether or not he's going to add to this suspension. Yeah, and the NFLPA, proactive last night. I'm sure you guys thought like I did. Boy, it sounds like they know what's coming because they're saying they're not going to appeal it. Uh, so it must be on the low side for them to come out and say that in advance. Didn't hear anything from the NFL. Now the report is that the NFL's undecided on what it's going to do here. I'm not sympathetic to Roger Goodell and the league got the setup that it was satisfied with in terms of this disciplinary thing, but he's in another can't win situation for the league. If they appeal it, there'll be a faction that'll crush him. If they don't appeal it, there'll be a faction that will crush him. Um, That's why he makes these ridiculous amount of dollars hut. I think it's low. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we, we saw one report from Dan Graziano that they were negotiating still, uh, into late last week that the league would have only gone for maybe eight to 12 plus what about an $8 million fine. And that the PA would have gone really for six to eight, um, with no fine. So they weren't very close. I think it's interesting reading this, the 16 page statement from Sue L Robinson on the case. The wording, you know, you get into the legal, the preponderance of evidence, more likely than not, you know, that's the the burden of proof in this. And she goes on to list all of the accusations from the league, from the women, and it's on her to decide whether it was more likely than not that things happen. They define sexual assault in it, and she said it's more like, basically, Deshaun Watson is saying absolutely not, a couple of these things didn't happen, 
multiple women are saying it did happen. And she's saying, I find it to be more likely than not that they happened. She found him guilty that, on that all she's guilty, three guilty things. of sexual assault, guilty of making someone feel threatened or uncomfortable, guilty on, on all of it. But the way her statement opens is very interesting where she basically says, let me start by saying, I'm only given so much. I have to deal with the evidence and the case presented by the NFL. I'm not looking at everything else. So here's what the NFL did. They interviewed 12 of the 24 women, and they really took four of the women's testimony, I guess, to be the most credible that they used in the case against Deshaun Watson. And, you know, she kind of breaks all of it down. But I just thought it was interesting. It was almost like a CYA that, hey, I'm not looking into every little bit of testimony and deposition and everything. Here's how we conducted the investigation. The NFL sent out two investigators. They investigated. They presented a case to me. Then she had her part in the investigation. And here's the conclusion and we came to. And therein lies a major problem, as we've seen time and time again, with the NFL's ability to be an investigative agency that doesn't have any subpoena power, the ability to force anybody to talk. And I wouldn't agree to talk to the NFL if I was in the middle of one of these things because you're more likely than not to get your name dragged through the mud than you are to get the justice you may be seeking in, in a case, even if the government's also letting you down. The, uh, the other mistake, if you want to call it that, um, maybe not. I mean, it, she references the fact that he was not suspended last season, which I have been harping on yeah. since, the, since day one. Sat on their hands. Um, they, want to, they want to react now instead of then. And she, in addition, the report said that, that he missed the 2021 season. If he had been put on the commissioner's administrative leave list, those missed games would have been credited toward a later suspension. So she's saying it's six games now. And had he been on the, on the commissioner's list last year, that would entail him stacking that into the six games based on this suspension. So she's kind of counting it as time served a little bit. In, in some ways, yes. Um, and in some ways, not. Like You could also say if he's on the, the list last year, who knows if, if it is even six games in this case yeah. from Sue L. Robinson. Um, this is far from done, however, because we will now see uh, Goodell, if, if, if the NFL wants to uh, appeal this, it goes before Goodell or someone Gale, uh, Goodell would appoint in this, in this seat to then rule on this however the NFL sees fit, quite frankly. And then and we it's know not what they over, wanted. And it's not over after that either, which is why I think this is a very interesting decision coming by the league. Because then the NFLPA will get back involved and we will head to a court, an appeals court, just like we did with Tom Brady, where Watson's going to be playing as we went on the court process to play out. Um, and in fact, it did play out that way where Brady played for a season, came back, and then the appeals court said that the NFL under the current CBA had the right to suspend him uh, because he knew about the deflate gate and, and the footballs. More likely than not, he was involved in that or at least had knowledge of it. Be interesting if it went that way because for him it could cost him real money if it spilled into next year. Whereas this year it's not costing him any real money, as we've discussed, because the contract was shaped to purposely not cost him any real money this year. Those six games have cost him virtually nothing, but any games next year would cost him significant money because he's got a significant base next year. He doesn't this year. The the story doesn't go away if the NFL just accepts the punishment here and moves forward with six games. 
but it's also likely not circulated in the public eye for as long as an appeal process and then the court filing by the NFLPA, which would surely come. Goes away quicker. Based on this precedent by Sue L. Robinson and her ruling of six games. If they swallow this, it's a big story, but it'll have a shelf life. Which is if why they I think it's an interesting if, decision. If what you're saying, they certainly are acknowledging that it is going to continue to be a major NFL storyline. Uh, cameras in Cleveland constantly... Uh, you know, for a while, gauging the reaction to this, and then the benchmark dates for Watson that are massive calendar moments for the league and for the people who cover the league and for Deshaun Watson. So th- there was the report from I think Dan Graziano that said that they'd be willing to accept six to eight games. The PA would. So isn't it just really easy for the appeal process to look like this? Goodell comes back the and says, I'm going to add 12. two games to it. The league was 12. The league but was 12 and an follow, $8 million Follow fund. me here. Goodell comes back. Ten. He, he says eight. And then they don't appeal, and it's over. So then Goodell gets to say, I tacked on two more games, got him through virtually half the season, and then they they sit quiet. The real compromise would so be like So it looks like he's done 10. something. If we're, if we're looking at just the optics of it, then Goodell can come back and say, well, at least I added something to what Sue L. Robinson, a very respected person in criminal justice, she said six. I came down as the all-seeing commissioner and a disciplinarian and added two games, and I know in adding the two games they're not going to appeal, and this thing's done. Just to be clear, Graziano said the difference was... Six to eight or ten to twelve, right? The the, the No, twelve to season. Oh, twelve to season. So they were eight to twelve apart. But you see my point. Minimum, maximum. Two games... It's two games in the NFL season. That's significant, but it's not 12 games to the season. So Goodell can save a little bit of face and say, I added something to it. And you're doing that with limited exposure and limited risk of this thing dragging on because you already know you've talked to the NFLPA. They're not going to appeal eight games. They'll just take the eight games and, and move on. But what what's the difference between six and eight, really? The, there is no difference. And I, I want to get into this it's because... Opt- Exactly. So get out of the optics, optics business. Of eight versus six yeah, is better. That like that's not a huge difference in punishment. No, but the optics are: I did, did something. something. Like Goodell can come back and say this respected person went through the trial and they said six, and I came back and said that's not enough. We take this stuff seriously. I'm going to add two more games and and make it eight. I, I wish the NFL would get out of the optics business and just admit what they are. A business seeking to make as much money as possible that is putting on a football league to entertain the masses. They are not some arbiter of change. They're never going to be that. Regardless of if people want them to be that or not, they're not good at it. They're not equipped to handle it. And deep down, they don't give a damn about these women. They don't. When they heard this story, there's not a single person in that league office who immediately thought, gosh, these poor women that were assaulted by one of our players. They're all sitting there thinking, how does this affect us? What should we do now? What is the right response? What's going to get us the least amount of blowback? I wish they would just admit, we don't care. We're trying to put forth a business. We obviously don't like these things. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I don't think they're sitting there cheering for these things to happen. They don't know how to handle it. Ultimately, they are going to look out. Not their own. They're going to look out for their owners their own business, 
And and this is why I think I I I and a lot of people get sick of the NFL or other leagues involving themselves in things they shouldn't involve themselves in and instead just be completely honest and state what your intentions are. And that is to make money producing entertainment through sport. And it is the National Football League. It's fail-proof right now. You're going to make money. All you're trying to do is avoid the major disaster that's going to stop you from making money. And there is nothing about this Deshaun Watson case that's going to take eyeballs away from the NFL. That may be the sad truth for a lot of people to hear. There's not a single person outraged by any suspension that was watching the NFL every week that suddenly will stop tuning in because of this. In fact, it will probably bring more eyeballs to the Cleveland Browns. It's going to bring more eyeballs to the sport. Ultimately, the NFL could still win in all of this, and that's not right, but the NFL is not worried about what's right and wrong. They're worried about what is right for them, and I wish they would just admit it. Well, quote, and this whole story, to me, feeds into that. Quote-unquote scandal. We've been talking about this since, uh, since we were on our old show. There, there was one summer that was relatively quiet, and I said, this ain't great for the league. We're used to having some kind of scandal, investigation, something going on that helps yeah, right. carry their quieter times. And there aren't that many because they've got benchmark events all the time. But an underlying scandal tends to be kind of good for them. This one isn't great because it dips into well, an area that's not healthy, obviously, well, and there are victims. Yeah, but I'm tired of the word optics here. Uh, and it's all about optics because... Uh, they, 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 sent a, they sent a message by suspending Calvin Ridley for betting on football. He's out for the season. And the NFL dealt that suspension. Uh, and didn't go in front of an independent judge in this case. Keep in mind, you've got grand juries, two of them, and now a former federal judge who has gone light on the suspension, unlike these leaked reports uh, from a couple of months ago where the NFL was looking for a full season and then reinstatement based on conditions. Yeah. So if Goodell and the weak NFL, that the way they look right now, comes back with eight instead of six after you've got Ridley on the, on the shelf for a full season and then he has to apply for reinstatement because it's indefinite, I mean, we don't talk about optics because they're going to tack on more games than what the judge did. Um, to me, that, looks, that makes them look foolish if they tack on just two more games to a suspension. Well, well, look, I, just, I wish they would stop being con concerned about optics and just admit what they are. A money-making machine. Well, they're never going to say that, that has no soul. They're I mean, say they're that. they're wanting to make money. That that's what they want. I'm not saying they want this stuff to happen. They obviously well, don't. It's easy to stand up against these things, but what they're most concerned with is harmony across the league, NFLPA with owners, with league, and everyone making as much money as possible and continuing that machine of cash to keep on going. And here's the other thing they're concerned with, and they've shown it with punishment. We're going to talk about different punishments. Hutton, you mentioned it. Calvin really gets a season for betting $1,500 online, sports wagering uh, on the NFL. What deflate gate, four games. They are way more concerned with anything that speaks to the integrity of their game as opposed than to the integrity actual of human, human beings being, being effective. Yeah. Listen, they they I don't think... care about that, but they'll, they'll care about you betting because they don't, going back to optics, they don't want the optics of everyone who bets on football feeling like the, 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 the jig is up because someone is doing something to affect the, the integrity of it, whether it be deflating a football 
or betting on their own team when or they, another team. When they agreed to this CBA and it created this layer that still left Goodell as the judge and jury, but but gave this element, this, mm-hmm. this Sue Robinson-level element to it, I think the players were hoping, you know, well, if this person does a good job and there's a good verdict there, maybe he'll have the good sense to leave it alone. And they're at a crossroads here where – you said the story doesn't die if he leaves it alone, but it certainly dies faster. You know, do they want to get out from under this story and move the hell on with their lives? They can here if they want, and he's going to get crushed either way, no matter well, what but, he does. But we're treating we're treating Roger Goodell in the NFL like Judgment Day, where Christ and God are overlooking this higher than the the court system. Like at some point. When do we just point well, to the court system? They do that. Well, they no, gave up no, on no, the court no, system no. twenty years we, ago. We do that by crushing them if they decide just to let this die and move on. If you just say, "Hey, we went through an independent judge here, and she has ruled on this," and while we don't, while we were looking for more, it's certainly uh, uh, based on how she words things here. Um, it certainly looks like you know the, the six games she feels is warranted, and we we're not going to get much more. And we don't want this to drag on to an appeals process where, and the statement should read, where Watson would play in 2022 and while, they, while this plays out I, in I, a legitimate court. And like, also, that, I, I'm, that we, we are holding the NFL as the judge, jury, and executioner while, I mean, we, we've seen the court system play out where he's getting credit. She's giving him credit for paying restitution, which I'm assuming is settling these cases. Well, yeah. and I don't want, I don't, look, on the record, I don't want Roger Goodell to do anything. I want him to accept her judgment and move on and say six games. That's our answer because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason they put in this whole clause with a third-party person that actually has done this for a living is because Roger Goodell had to admit he screwed up the Ray Rice situation so bad. So he that was smart. He said, I'm not good at this. This is not what I do. Well, he gave it up begrudgingly. So, But still, he yes. gave it up. So why... My point well, is, why go either. back to it then? It was originally two games, and then it was then it, it was indefinite, indefinite, and then it was and then like he won a, an appeal. Ray yeah. Rice won the appeal in November to it come back. Came back, and yeah, he was set out until November and came back. Also, um, she, but again, what? Why would you not just? This person does it for a living. We did an exhaustive uh, investigation. Even if they didn't, you claim you did. She claims they did. And then move on. And then say, she. this is what she said. This is what we're going to We'll honor. get back into this later. But she said something very interesting that kind of flipped the NFL against itself and showed their weak history and why this came out where it did. That's I look it. forward to discussing that. I, mean, I think we're all surprised by six games. Six, six was where it was like in way December, back. right? Yeah. And it's come and a then long it turned way. And now it's where we expected more. And now you're like, man, I'm, I'm shocked it's only six. It's whiplash. Yeah. And, and it's it's... But it's also like I've been stunned with the reaction from the court systems and how this entire story has played out. And this is just another example of it with the ruling today. We'll get into that more coming up on Outkick 360. But when we return, Dan Shaughnessy will join us as we will look back on the amazing life of Bill Russell, the Hall of Famer, passing away this weekend at the age of 88. And the great Dan Shaughnessy joins us next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. 
It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Known as the greatest champion in the history of team sports, Bill Russell passed away peacefully at the age of 88 over the weekend. Dan Shaughnessy, sports columnist for the Boston Globe, he joins us now on uh, Outkick 360. Uh, loved having him on to discuss his new book, I Wish It Lasted Forever, um, which is uh, uh, stories and tales of him covering the Boston Celtics in the Larry Bird era. And he's certainly uh, the perfect guest to have on today to reminisce on the late Bill Russell. Dan, thank you so much for the time. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? We doing very well. What what comes to mind first when you hear that that Bill Russell has passed away? What memory, what thought, what story did you immediately think of? Well, it's a lot. I mean, you know, I grew up in New England and when they were they had it going here. Celtics were champions every year of my youth. I was in high school before I realized they don't win the championship automatically <laughs> in the spring. And, uh, you know, they won eight in a row, obviously 11 out of 13. And Bill was the constant. He was the one constant through the whole thing. All 11 championships, you know, Red Auerbach retired from the bench and made Bill the head coach. So we were lucky to grow up with this kind of a sports team, sports model, team above self, uh, playing defense, sharing the ball, not worrying about who scored the most points. And, uh, you know, Russell would block shots and keep them in play, accelerate the fast break. They just, they had the whole thing going. And uh, I've never lived in a world that Bill Russell wasn't part of. So it was, it was just a shocking thing to learn that, you know, not really immortal. None, none of us are. So uh, that was a shocker. And then I went into work mode and I tracked down 93-year-old Bob Cousy, uh, one of the last remaining teammates who can talk about what it was like to play with him and to live with him as a teammate in those years and uh, able to do that. But we're running out of guys. It's been a lot of attrition from that team in the last few years because they're old men now. And uh, you know, we lost Tommy Heinsohn, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, John Havlicek, Frank Ramsey, and now Russell, you know, six of the teammates in the last four years. How complicated was his relationship with the city of Boston? I, I know it was that way for years, but did that situation thaw at all, Dan, when he came back to be honored in, in 2013? How, how was that situation think, in relationship later yeah. in life? I mean, it evolved over the decades. He came into Boston in the 1950s and 60s, and you know, they weren't selling out games. The team wasn't that popular, and even with the winning, they still didn't get the attention that they, they deserved. 
and the sport wasn't as major league as it has become. So, uh, yeah, there was a little bit of a curve there and, and he certainly encountered, you know, racism, bigotry, you name it. I mean, he was born in Louisiana and grew up in Oakland and now here he is in Boston and, and he was pretty upright about it. He read his books. He was a brilliant man. He wrote great books and he said, Boston is a flea bag of racism. And, uh, you know, people breaking into his house and doing nasty things in his house and, and making him feel very unwelcome. And I think when he had his number raised to the Raptors at the garden, after he finished playing, uh, he insisted it be in an empty garden, no fans, not a game day, just, just a ceremony. So those things were real. And Bill Russell was never one to, you know, play the fool for anybody. He, he uh, gave no quarter and he stood up for what he believed in. I think things got better through the decades. I think Boston got better through the decades. Um, there's a statue of Bill downtown. He came back for that. And he was here on and off pretty much regular basis, either as coming in as a coach of the Kings or the Sonics executive or in his capacity as a resident Hall of Famer and handing out the finals MVP trophy, which is named after him. And of course, he was very respectful and, and got along to, with Red Auerbach till Red's dying days. So that was our connection to him. Uh, as a media person, he didn't have a lot of warm, fuzzy moments. There was a couple times where I had good experiences with him telling stories and giving us this great laugh and, and apologizing for all the times he never got back to me and I was working on something because that's just the way he was. And I understood that. He gave us his game. That was enough. And it's the greatest game anybody ever gave us any. I'm curious about his relationship with, with fans, too. He wasn't uh, an autograph guy, maybe until later in life where there was – uh, some financial transaction to it, from what I understand. Yep. You mentioned his book, uh, books, Second Wind, The Memoirs of an Opinionated Man from 1979. He wrote, in each case, my intention was to separate myself from the star's idea about fans and fans' ideas about stars. I have very, very little faith in cheers, what they mean and how long they will last. That sounds like a tough way to be a star in American sports and a very different way. That was him. That's the unvarnished truth. That's how he was. And he knew some of those things would not make him popular. But again, he, he came roaring into the 60s and 70s. And I mean, he, he marched with Dr. King and he was a Paul Barrett, Jackie Robinson's funeral. And he went to the Cleveland summit to support Muhammad Ali with Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, I, I believe he was at King's funeral. And he just uh, did not he was not going to worry about what people thought of him. He was going to stand up for himself as a man and, uh, and basically stick his tongue out at anybody who didn't like it. So, uh, I respected that. He was a very smart man. He's very intellectual. And again, you couldn't dispute anything he did on the court. He, he did it just the right way. And, uh, as, as the years went by, everybody kind of got used to it and, and we respected him and, and hopefully he started to respect, uh, the New England region a little bit more. Boston Globe colonists, Dan Shaughnessy with us on Outkick 360. We're, we're rem reminiscing on the, the life of, of Bill Russell. Dan, would we give the example of, of Bill letting a, a player intentionally score, knowing the player was going to score, and, and tell us how he used that as the example of how he would outthink his opponents. Well, you're doing your homework there. That was one that uh, Archie Clark was the scorer for the Lakers, and this was one time Bill came to the globe and he was telling stories and he was very in a very good mood and he liked this one. And he, it, it said a lot about him, but they're playing the Lakers a routine, regular season game on the road. And Lakers are up two with 10 seconds to go, something like that. And 
had the ball. So that game's pretty much over. You're going to have to foul on the inbound, maybe try to steal it, but uh, or watch them dribble out the clock, and then you lose. And Bill decided the best path here was to uh, create a path to the basket for Archie Clark, who was a renowned scorer and wanted the two points and would seize this opportunity to, to pad his stats and get two more points with a clear path. So Russell created that on the inbounds and Clark went to the basket to score two and Russell came up and chased down block and got the ball back. They tied it and uh, won it in overtime. So he loved that. It was a way to, you know, exp- you know, know your, know your opponents, exploit their weaknesses, take advantage of, the, of those things and win the game in a cerebral fashion. In addition to the competitive uh, athleticism. You know, and Bill Russell, I know, wrote that, and he said it a lot, that I didn't play for Boston. I played for the Celtics and for Red Arbach. And he didn't, he didn't play for the city. Um, and Red Arbach, I know, later in his career, got a little bit creative with his contract because he thought he was owed some more money from previous ownership uh, where they were claiming that they were, they were in poverty, apparently, uh, during that period and, and would not get paid. But even then, Bill Russell wouldn't accept money when he was not playing. What what can you tell us about that story, Dan, and well, the, the relationship thing, with those two? Yeah. I mean, the last thing, thing, I mean, the Celtics were pretty much dirt poor as a, as a franchise, and the Bruins owned the building, and a lot of competition there. Celtics had the better product, better team, but it, Boston was a hockey town until Russell and Cousy and Havlicek and those guys got it going, so that did take a while. But yeah, when Chamberlain came around, he was dominating the sport, averaging 50 points a game, and but Russ was able to to beat him and, and, and beat his team almost every time. So Red, understanding the intellect of the athlete and being respectful to his player, he paid him $1 more. When Chamberlain got up to 100000 Red said, all right, you're going to make $100,001. And that was his way of showing respect and demonstrating that we value more. You don't need to score 50 points a game. As long as you win the game, we love you. Wonder if you ever talked to any of your prede- predecessors when when you were starting out, and and if there's ever a conversation about how no one thought to count blocks at some point during right his career. No, that's a good point. And we had old timers on the staff when I was a young man, and Jack Barry was one. Jack Barry at Boston Globe invented the word turnover for you know turning the ball over to the other team. Obviously, it was thought of as a dessert, a pop over, whatever, and. Jack coined the phrase turnover for and became a statistic. But yeah, Harvey in uh, in 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 Philadelphia started with the stats. He was the more of a stat keeper, and a lot of the stuff was lost to the vapors with with Jamelin and Russell and what they did. So we laugh now. You know, Marcus Mark got Defensive Player of the Year this year for the Celtics, but they didn't have that award when Russell played. It should have been just the Bill Russell Award for that thing. And you're right, block shots not counted, and all that just went into the ether. How good of a job do you think that the, the, with the current makeup of the Boston Celtics organization, how far are they going to go in honoring Bill Russell in this upcoming season? How good of a job do you think they're going to do in, in doing that? They're generally pretty good. They have good, good ownership now, very respectable of the history. And again, as you said, there's been patches for a lot of guys, Tommy Heinsohn, Sam Jones, Casey Jones. So it's hard to honor everybody at once, but this is a special situation. I think the city maybe could step up a little bit. Russell has a statue went up in 2013, I think, but it's not in a most visible place. I mean, or statues in front of the garden where the Bruins play and Ted Williams is outside of Fenway. And I'm sure Brady will have one down at Gillette someday, but I think that they could either build another one more prominent spot in Boston or just re reposition this thing just so that more folks see it. How would you describe the rivalry between Russell and Chamberlain 
at the time, but on the court as, as compared to off the court where they seem very friendly. Sure. Off, I mean, you know, Wilt's mother would make dinner when Bill would go to Philadelphia and, and Will was a much more outgoing you know, kind of gregarious guy. So he was easy for us. And, um, I think that, you know, Bill, I don't want to say Bill was smarter than Will Chamberlain in my view, and just knew how to exploit that. And, and, uh, cause when the game started, he would do what he could do to, to outthink him. And that, that stuff worked to the point where the last game that they played against each other is the finals of game 69 finals. And, you know, Wilt's got Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and Russell's got a fourth place team and him and Brian starting and, I mean, they had no business winning that thing. And uh, Russell scored six points, but beat Chamberlain, who asked out of the game. He got in foul trouble, didn't want to foul out because he never had, said it was an injury, and the coach wouldn't put him back in. And it was just a horrible way for it to end for Wilt. But Russell invariably found a way to to beat Wilt, even though Wilt had, was bigger and more powerful and way better low-post scorer than Bill Russell was. He had a habit of throwing up before games. Did, did that last yeah. his, his whole career? His teammates talked about <laughs> the, the sound being reassuring, like, okay, okay, here we yeah. go. And he said it wasn't it's a nerves time, thing. Yeah. It was just kind of a habit. We weren't in the room, but everybody talked about that, and uh, that was part of the folklore of one of the Celtic traditions, and that, he would, that was his way of uh, sort of announcing from the stall that he's ready to go tonight. I think it was a reassuring thing, and, you know, Sam Jones and Ramsey and Heinsohn and Red would, would talk about that. So, yeah, it was part of the folklore of, like, the parquet floor and the, the banners above. Well, we've got you. We know you also examine the NFL in great depth, wondering what you think about uh, this latest stage of the Deshaun Watson developments. Well, it seems like awfully light, and I, it's hard to believe that, I mean, not to <laughs> apples and oranges, but Tom Brady gets four games for a competitive violation of the plate and footballs, and and you have this, you know, crime against humanity in, in six games. It's just not not good, and I don't know where it'll shake out. The commissioner, as we know, he seems to have powers that supersede some of these courts and with the, the basic agreements that, that the union signs. So I'm anxious to see how this plays out moving forward because I would think the ginger hammer could do himself some PR good by trying to extend that and make it a little bit bigger than, than what he got. Dan, who's going to call offensive plays for the Patriots? Well, I, you know, we always think it's just Bill, and he's certainly wearing it now and putting all the heat on himself. But I don't know whether they don't want to pay for have people to have those titles or he's being stubborn or he's trying to keep the heat off his boys. What it is, but, yeah, we've got a stubborn situation emerging here, and it'll just put more of a bullseye on Bill's back. And they've got, you know, they've got a tough four games out of the gate, and they finish with a parade of great quarterbacks down the stretch. So uh, they're in a they're in a tricky spot. They don't seem to be – overwhelmed with talent and uh, they got a nice looking second year quarterback as we know and but the division the conference has kind of gone by him a little bit and uh it's going to be interesting to see if bill can reverse that course with his just uh coaching genius i was reading last week where uh, some were saying that that they thought belichick would actually be the play caller is that realistic I mean, I guess it's Patricia right now, but he's not been an offensive guy, so we don't. No one knows anything. It's like this has been the case for, you know, 25 years down there. It's a very cloistered world, and this is the way Bill wants it. And more than ever, that's what we're seeing. You can you can throw away the tomato can column now. You don't have to re- repurpose that every year, unless unless they are the tomato can. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a spin that'll be. Look forward to that one. <laughs> 
Hey, thank you. Thank you for reflecting on the, the life of Bill Russell uh, on and off the court. We appreciate you as always. Always love chatting with you. Enjoyed it, fellas. Take Thanks. care. All right. Dan Shaughnessy. Terrific, as always. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, they, Kobe Bryant did an interview. Uh, I forgot what the, the outlet, Major Network. And he was telling, a, at the time, the story of Bill Russell and, and Chamberlain and admitted to Kobe like the, the art of war type deal, like rivalry they would have. And the cerebral aspect of, of what uh, Russell would do is he would go play extremely hard against Chamberlain, of course, when the game was tight. But when the game was at hand and the Celtics were cruising, he would let up and let Chamberlain get his stats so that he, when, even in a loss, he felt good about how he played against Russell. Mind games. And then he, you know, they got the loss. Uh, they, but you know, Chamberlain would get the MVPs, and Russell was cool with that because he was winning titles. I was reading a, a two or three different pieces today, and I, I can't remember which one was telling these stories. But that rivalry between Chamberlain and Bill Russell, and Bill Russell wrote about it. But people around Russell thought that while he knew that he was in his heart choosing the righteous path of devoting himself to winning and team, and not being the star star, where Chamberlain had the big personality had the off-court fun, obviously, that everyone knows about and is legendary, but that part of Bill Russell maybe envied, you know, how light Wilt Chamberlain was around people and the way he conducted himself and how polar opposite they were and how they went about their business. There was also an amazing story, and Dan told about the, the racism he faced in Boston, that there was one time his house was burglarized, um, but people defecated in his home. In their bed. They, they, they found that last. Yeah, they like smeared, they smeared slurs all over the walls and everything else. And that they had a problem where uh, his daughter, in, a, in her memoirs, wrote that every week their trash would be knocked over. And they have to go out and clean up the trash where this. someone was knocking the trash over. So he was complaining to the, the cops. And the cops said, oh, it's just raccoons doing that. So Bill said, well, where do I go register for a firearm to get rid of the raccoons? And they said from that moment on, there were no trash cans being tipped over uh, at his house anymore after he brought that up to the cops. Really interesting stuff. Mom died when he was 12 years old, I think, of kidney failure, raised by a single dad who had a successful business in Louisiana, ended up having to work different jobs to make ends meet. But at the time, that really wasn't that accepted. There was an aunt trying to adopt the boys, and the dad said, no, I'm going to raise them on my own. And moved to Oakland eventually, wasn't heavily recruited and won back-to-back national championships at the University of San Francisco. Just an incredible life well-lived He's the uh, all-time Bill Russell. Interesting he, guy. He's the all-time team sports winner, right? Yeah, uh, he's been described as the best winner in the history of team sports. 11 NBA, 2 college, and an Olympics. Pretty and it's, it's not talk. just being on good teams. It's how oh, no, it's he played and devoted himself to doing whatever it took and it's not win. always scoring the most points but to win the game. Hit us up on Twitter at OutKick360. Coming up, we'll uh, take over some headlines through the NFL, observations from training camps. Kyler Murray uh, in the news as well today. We'll tell you uh, the details on why he's going to miss a few practices this week. That's next on OutKick360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our kick 360 rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Kyler Murray has uh, tested positive for COVID. So has head coach Pete Carroll for the Seahawks. You know, there's no COVID policy per se. However, if you are experiencing symptoms or if a trainer or physician at the facility feels as though you appear symptomatic, they can ask you to take a test. I don't know which of the two. Then do they send you uh, home until here. you're not symptomatic? Are they just common sensing it? I, I suppose. Okay, well, there's he's out five at least five days from the facility. I think is the rule, and then he's back in. So that that's that's the update for uh, the Cardinals. Is is Murray is not there? Hopkins is he's talked again on his suspension. He's got a six game suspension. He's going to be serving for violating the uh, uh, PED policy. For the NFL, he still says, he's like, look, the, the rule is in there. I'll, I'll have to accept it, but I didn't knowingly take anything. He, and he reiterated that he barely takes vitamins as it is. But he's going to serve the six-game suspension. Um, hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. The schedule for the Cleveland Browns, not all that difficult. They did um, this on purpose. On paper. Soft-loaded the front. Tyler Castle on our staff, who's our resident Browns fan, sent uh, an immediate text message this morning laying out the schedule. Very excited about those first six games if they're going to be without Deshaun Watson. Worked out very well for the Browns in all of this. Just from a football perspective, um, I don't think it could be much better if, in fact, the six-game suspension holds. And it's no more than that. Uh, of those first six, I mean, how many of these games, Hutton, do we think that they could they could win with Jacoby Brissett or Josh Dobbs or, or Josh Rosen at quarterback? Well, they're playing the Panthers. I got it right in front of me. Jets, here, Steelers, Falcons, Jags. Chargers. Oh, no, sorry. I was looking. Sorry, sorry, sorry. My bad. Panthers, Jets, Steelers, Falcons, Chargers, Patriots. Um, and then as of right Ravens now. Ravens is the first one he did uh, See, I get week six, uh, week seven. Is the is the first time back for Deshaun Watson as it stands right now? <laughs> that is a home game, oh, excuse me, a road game against Baltimore. By the way, he can return to practice. He can return to the team facility after Week Three, and he continues to be a part of training camp. Watson does, uh, but now they know uh, as it sits right now, he's suspended for the first six games of the season. I, I initially saw their schedule, and the preseason games weren't well labeled. Jaguars, Eagles, Brown, uh, Bears. Jaguars, Bears in the two or three of the preseason, which would have been a hell of an easy start. Too. There, well, there's here. there's no given that they're going to win games no. with Jacoby Brissett, but with that schedule, based on what we think about those teams and the remaining roster there for Cleveland, which is a very talented roster, I mean, four and two, three and three is a possibility, even with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. And, you're and then you're getting Deshaun Watson in late October. As you start, you're going to get one division game. 
in those first six, and then you're going to go. The first game back is going to be against Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. That's not all bad that for game, Cleveland. That game will be an event if that's his return game. Baker Bowl and that first thing, you can have a very motivated Baker Mayfield, but not a super talented Panthers team by uh, any assessment. It's, a, it's also a big win for Jimmy Haslam. Um, again, as it looks today, he does not look like the goat of owners. Took the gamble. The, the, the bad version of the goat of owners here because, you know, he – he was told no. Watson said the Browns are out of it. It was going to be the Falcons or the Saints. And Haslam came back and gave the fully guaranteed contract. This could have been an extremely poor decision, maybe the worst contract in the history of the league, had this gone as heavy-handed as what was being reported a couple of months ago. Which it still could. But I think most of us are thinking that uh, it'd be very hard for Goodell to come back and give him a season with an entry now uh, with a you know re-entry condition still on the table but well again and then the nflpa would sue and they would go to uh or they would they would take it to a a pills court just like they did with brady yeah yeah if it's anything more than the two more games if, if he wanted to stay in the the point of least resistance I'll add two games because they're probably not going to appeal at that point. They could go that route. It's really not doing a ton. But uh, I just keep keep coming back to if Roger Goodell, because he screwed up the Ray Rice, they created a system to take him off the hook by appointing someone else who does this a lot of the time to administer punishment, he can just take that out and allow the six games to be the six games now if he wanted to. And if the NFL wants a full season, why are you negotiating for 12 games? Well, I mean, it wasn't I think those reports are very strange it, it to was me, a just range. in general. I think when those you things know. are reported, it's just a, it, those are strange reports to me. Because I'm, I'm with you. I'm thinking, they're the NFL. If they want the full season, Roger Goodell can say, I'm adding 11 games to that six because we're not going to stand for this and we're going to give them a full season. If they really wanted to try that. Well, they, they're, they doesn't sound like they are going to because of the, you know, the NFLPA did not want to, and, and Watson's camp did not want to settle for eight or for 12. Well, 12 because, and 8 million. Because they, they, they were getting a sense of what this was going to be. Seems like. And if the NFL is certainly getting the same type of you know, temperature gauge on what this is going to be, that, I think that's why the negotiations would be at 12 for a settlement where you have both parties... Uh, agree to a certain suspension before you even hear from Sue Robinson. You know, and we've seen on the TV shows you you, you may be hesitant to negotiate, but you never know where the jury or the judge is, is coming down until you get it. Watson uh, was ordered to change his ways. We will tell you what else is in this report from Sue Robinson in the news of the day. We'll preview some NFL teams starting today. Today that starts with the AFC North with the Ravens and Bengals. We've got that for you next.